one of the greatest stories about Title IX happened at Yale, and it was around rowing in 1976. The women's rowing team were really tired of coming out off of the river and the guys having their own um, locker room and could take showers, none for the women, so they had to shiver on the bus. Uh, you know, and it's 5.30 in the morning, and it's cold in Connecticut during rowing season. So they staged something, and they went into the AD's office, and all of the players were naked from the waist up, and they had Title IX print, you know, emblazoned on their backs, and they had a reporter who sent that picture to the New York Times, and I bet you won't be surprised to know that that changed two weeks later. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with changemakers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is proven to help us age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. And to find out more about the podcast, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. While you're there, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at our guests and other fun and quirky tidbits. And if you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a previous guest. Find out more at judybanker.com. And our technical director is Stephen Litweiler. Well, we have a really special uh episode for you today. 2022 marks the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, Title IX is a federal law that prohibits discrimination based on sex or gender in any educational institution that receives federal funding. And previous to this law, universities had club sports for women, but they did not receive funding or support. And in fact, Alice Tim, another guest on Zestful Aging, started her tennis career before Title IX was enacted. And I talked to her about what that was like. And she said uh, she and her fellow women athletes had to organize themselves to compete without the infrastructure and support of her university in Florida. Our guest today has devoted her career to health, gender equality, and Title IX. Deborah Slaner Larkin is the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation, founded by Billie Jean King in 1974. And their mission is to strengthen and expand participation and leadership opportunities through research, advocacy, community programming, and a wide variety of collaborative partnerships. And Deborah also served on the President's Council of Physical Fitness and Sports. During her tenure at the President's Council, she co-managed the critically acclaimed President's Council Report, Physical Activity and Sport in the Lives of Girls. 
physical and mental health dimensions from an interdisciplinary approach. And I met Deborah recently at the National Senior Games in Fort Lauderdale, where she went on to win the doubles championship. Welcome to the show, Deborah. Oh, thanks so much. It's great to be here. <laughs> oh, well, last time I saw you, we were both pretty sweaty. <laughs> A, a good way, to, good way to be. Working a good hard. way to meet. That sort of brings down all of the barriers, right? When you're when you're just trying to deal with the humidity and the heat in Florida. Well, well there's there's nothing like playing sports to uh, learn how to bond together. You see the real inner workings of someone, of of how they compete, um, what their work ethic is. Uh, you know, and, and it's great that women are doing it. It's really interesting that you say that. I was just having a conversation with one of, one of the national champions in Canada, and I met her in a totally strange way. Uh, and she had won a couple of national championships. And she, we talked about how competition really becomes a Rorschach test for people. Have you, have you noticed that as well? Oh, absolutely. And, and it's, um, you know, the three areas have been the greatest socializing factors for men over the years. And one is religion, one is sports, and one is the military. Because you really, each one tests a person to their limit, whether it's spiritually for religion, military, life, death, sports. Oh my gosh, you know, that competition. And it's um, such a strong way to bond and get to know the real person. You know? Yeah. And that... it just strips you from everything else, which is great. And why there are such close relationships based on those three areas. Would you say most of the people in your life, Deborah, you've uh, met through sport? Well, it, it has been a lot of my life work, but... Um, I must say, e equality, gender equity, women's leadership, mm -hmm. um, civil rights has been, you know, a, a very important part, some of whom have been athletes and some non. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm lucky that way. <laughs> How did you start getting interested in Title IX? Uh, great question. I was, it, it really came about by getting hired at uh, the Women's Sports Foundation. I've been fortunate enough to be CEO at two, two different times. One very close to the beginning in the 80s, and then the last time, 2014 through 2017. And I just, sports was very important to me. Athletics was. My mother was a terrific athlete. My father was a good exerciser. Um, they promoted sports in our community, and I wanted to be Billie Jean King. Right? <laughs> I, I, I admit it, but that wasn't in the cards. Um, and so, working for an organization that provided the opportunities and promoted women's leadership and participation and e e equality was the next best thing. And now you know Billie Jean King and work for her foundation. Um, I, we, I, I must say, I appreciate that you say I still do, but I, I am the past CEO of that. There is a very competent woman, Danette, 
who is now the new CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation. But yes, I work with Billie not only through the Women's Sports Foundation, but her Billie Jean King Leadership Initiative, which is uh, a terrific organization that does a lot of leadership and diversity and inclusion Mm-hmm. opportunities in the workforce. Mm-hmm. She's really become a voice for inclusion. Yep, mm-hmm. definitely. And she lives what she preaches, which is even better. And when you say she lives what she preaches, what what, what comes to mind? Well, some people just talk about the work that they do, but she actually surrounds herself with a d- diverse group of people. Um, and we know that when you do that, you make better decisions. Um, and that's really what makes her tick. And, and she chooses the activity she participates in that will promote fairness and equality for everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live in a, a different world now where there that's non-binary. So we no longer say we're just fighting for women. We're mm-hmm. fighting for everyone. Mm-hmm. I see. So what, can you sort of tell me what a day in your life looks like as someone who's working for these uh, uh, diversity <laughs> issues? What does it look like? Well, that, that's very interesting. Um, okay, I can tell you that uh, sometimes I start my day delivering for Meals on Wheels, mm-hmm. and which... Um, that has not been my primary focus, but I love my older peeps and, <laughs> and, and uh, appreciate, you know, being with them and helping out. Um, I also consult for an organization here in Vermont called PAVE, which is about um, sexual harassment and sexual violence to prevent that because I was very involved in that area oh, for about 25 years when I lived in New York, and this is um, a local organization uh, in Vermont where I live there. So I spend an hour, you know, once a week consulting uh, with them. I'm spending about, well, I try and play tennis three or four times a week, mm-hmm. um, playing some golf. And people say, oh, you're just going to love golf. Golf is the greatest. Well, I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) Tennis is still my sport. Mm -hmm. But I wanted, after my husband and I moved up to Vermont, I recognized that I really missed my girlfriends. And it wasn't as easy meeting new people. So a way that I have always done that in my life is through sports. So I took up golf. I think it's a bit in my genes. My mother played to a four or five handicap. So um, my swing's pretty good. And again, playing tennis, not only competitively, but socially. So I had more, more of a social group and interaction. Mm-hmm. So do that. But the main thing that I've been doing this year is in conjunction with the 50th anniversary of Title IX, that I was seeing there are so many um, great programs and research and attention to Title IX as what happens on many 50th anniversaries. But I felt it could have a more, it could be more powerful. And the way to do that was to bring in and galvanize all those efforts into one national campaign. I got some people together. You, (coughs) You know, we have our kitchen cabinets. 
And, and in that cabinet is Billie Jean and Alana and people at the Women's Sports Foundation and the National Women's Law Center and some individuals and said, what do you think of this idea that we have a national campaign that brings everything together? First time, not just Title IX as it relates to sports, but all of the other areas around Title IX. Because before Title IX, Girls couldn't take advanced math and science classes. We couldn't be astronauts. If you were pregnant or parenting, very often you had to leave school. You weren't allowed to attend. So there are many areas that Title IX covers. But rather than just have each organization cover it in their own specific area, mm-hmm. we are gathering many organizations together. Our goal is 100 partners Mm-hmm. We have 85 at mm-hmm. this minute, and we've just been organizing for the last month and a half. Uh, we're gathering signatures, and this came up because a friend sent me an email saying, Deborah, you've got to sign this. And it was an email to support Afghan women in education. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. And I looked at 191,000 people had signed. And three, three weeks later, I looked, and over a million had signed. Oh, my goodness. So I said, if we also do something like this and people sign a pledge to fight for equity by advocating for Title IX protections and enforcement, then that would give the national organizations added power mm-hmm. when they go on the hill, when Pressure, they go to yeah. the off of a civil rights. And more importantly because it is up to the next generation to carry on the fight, is that we provide education and resources to college students and high school students so that they're aware of what their rights are, they recognize when there's been discrimination, and we give them the tools to fight it in a way that gives them success. Mm -hmm. So I'm loving it. Um, You're fired up. I am fired up, and that's what keeps me going. I I feel so fortunate to be working with some really smart people. And and I have to share this with you. Alana Kloss, who is Billie Jean's partner, wife, uh, said to me, Deborah, you've got to turn it over to the young people. It's time for them to do the work. And I'm saying it out loud, and it's in my ear. Now, there's still a lot of room for us who are over 21, over 44, over 55, but we still have the good ideas and we've got the energy, but Mm -hmm. to work and mentor so that they can take over is really important. And boy, have I found out that we're in good hands. There are a lot of really uh, wonderful people who are taking on the same issues and it's it just makes me pat my chest. I'm so so excited mm, for it. It's intergenerational, yes, and that's uh, many of these movements. Um, Third Act is another one that right. is using this model of intergeneration generationality, I guess, uh, to to really um, uh, have a, a much more profound presence. Right. Uh-huh. And what's what's wonderful about this again as i said we have over 85 partners so far that's just not happened you know people are very um loyal to their own brand and 
and selfish about their own bread, which they're supposed to be. That's their business. But in this situation, they have joined together, recognizing that together we're bigger than one individual organization, so much so that we have quite a few in, international organizations who are supporting us, uh, UN Women, uh, South African Women in Sports Organization, and there are about mm. five or six others. There are organizations whose main focus is not necessarily Title IX, but their focus is fairness for everyone. So we mm. have unions mm. who are involved and um, immigration organizations. So it's, it's, it, it's, you know, we have a good future. I see. So there's, there's a lot of places that are targeting injustice, and you're trying to bring them together under this umbrella. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, around education. There's around no doubt education. About it. And, and what some people don't realize is that this really has an international effect as well. Because in the United States, there are many international students, you know, that come to mostly the colleges and universities, many play sports, who don't have sports in their schools, mm -hmm. you know, outside of the United States. They play club sports mm -hmm. so that when they come to the United States, they get the advantage of playing all the sports that we offer and mm -hmm. offer through Title IX. I see. Yeah. Um it was so interesting to talk with Alice Tim, who played in Florida, and she actually played with Billie Jean King. I, I'm trying to remember. And also, she talked about Margaret Court as well. She went to Wimbledon, and uh, she talked about when she started, they, as I said in the introduction, they just figured it out. Uh, they had to provide their own transportation, their own scheduling. You know, they didn't have uniforms, anything. Um, and then she became the head coach at Yale for women, and that's just when Title IX uh, become, became enacted. And it, right. she, you know, she talked about how different of an experience it was for her her players. It's really uh, fascinating. Yes, without a doubt. And you know what? It's it's a very good thing that women have always known how to multitask. <laughs> the the fact that we usually run our households and get many skills from doing that. And now having the formal skills through education and a lot of training, then we there's no stopping us. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this initiative, the Demand Nine. Well, as I said, that it is an, a national campaign uh, designed, quite frankly, to educate, empower, and inspire kids, uh, high school, college, parents, advocates, the research would tell us that 60% of people in the country and 75% of students don't know about the law, Title IX. But they do know about fairness, and they do know discrimination when they see it. But, you know, when you're in high school or when you're in college and you are presented with a situation that is not fair, but... It is presented by the leaders, by the authority figures, by the athletic director mm -hmm. or the president of the school. You figure, hey, they're the adult. They know what's right, but that's not how it should be. And we know that now. And that's the kind of um, information and education we're giving to people. Plus, we're giving a lot of the history. On We have a website called 
you wouldn't be surprised, demand nine. Mm-hmm. Dem- and the nine is Roman numeral, as is mm-hmm. the law. So it's mm-hmm. demand9.org. And that you can not only see fabulous graphics, you can sign the pledge on that website, but there's see all of the partners and see how wide-ranging they are. But also there's a page of resources so that you can learn a lot about history. You talked about being at Yale. One of the greatest stories about Title IX happened at Yale, and it was around rowing in 1976. The women's rowing team were really tired of coming out off of the river and the guys having their own um, locker room and could take showers, none for the women, so they had to shiver on the bus, Uh, Uh, you know, and it's 5.30 in the morning and it's cold in Connecticut during rowing season. So they staged something and they went into the AD's office and all of the players were naked from the waist up and they had Title IX print (gasps) emblazoned on their backs and they had a reporter who sent that picture to the New York Times and I bet you won't be surprised to know that that changed two weeks later. (laughs) Wow! So there are... That was certainly had some impact. Beware, beware. beware. Uh, Unfortunately, the, the other thing that why did Title IX really go into effect? Yes, it was law, but as we know, laws have to be enforced. And the way the, the law was framed was that if you did not comply with Title IX, that you could lose federal funding. Mm. And almost every public insti- educational institution gets p- federal funding. So that was uh, a rear, real incentive for schools to provide the opportunities uh, for women in all areas of education. But guess how many schools have lost federal funding for not being in compliance Um, over the last 50 years? Oh, boy. Oh, not many, I'm guessing. How about zero? Oh, I was hoping that wasn't going to be the answer. That is the answer. And not only that, what is extraordinary is 80% of the colleges and schools are still not in compliance. So the way that um, there is no doubt that the Office of Civil Rights who oversees this will come in and they can evaluate. And if they find the schools lacking they try and work out agreements so that they fix the situation. Um, and, and that part is good. And especially in high schools, very often, if people are ignorant about the law, to explain what rights all both boys and girls have and explain. You're talking to your neighbors, right? So you don't want to have animosity. So sometimes things can get taken care of in that way. But the other way, which is not the first choice, is through litigation. Mm-hmm. And by the time it gets to the point where someone is going to litigate, we almost always win mm-hmm. or the school settles. Yeah. And, and the question I would always get from the media is, if you always win these cases, Deborah, why does, why does the school wait so long? Why don't they just make changes? And unfortunately, the answer is because they can. Mm -hmm. They really don't think people are going to sue. When you sue, it ruins your career. You're blackballed. It can take five or six, seven, ten years 
you know, lawsuits are very messy and very expensive, but we win. And, and the shame of that is that it's still going on 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, can I give you two examples Certainly. of things that happened? Please. Last year, and last year when, I mean, and I know you have a, a large international audience, but in basketball, the big event in college is the Final Four and the NCAA championships. Well, the men and women were playing, and a University of Oregon basketball player, Sedona Prince, took a photo on her phone of the size of the women's locker room. Uh, Not locker room, sorry, training room, right? Weight training room. And it was probably the size of a small kitchen or a medium-sized kitchen. And then she took a photo of the men's weight room. And it was literally the size of a ballroom in a hotel. Mm. And that's what it Mm. was, a ballroom in a hotel. And she posted that video. It went viral. Mm -hmm. And people were astounded that in 2021, that could happen and still be that way. And then the result of that is there was so much attention made to that that they uncovered many more inequities that were going on. The NCAA had to hire a very prestigious law firm, Kaplan, to write a big report, which they did, and this year there were some changes made. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, USA Today, in the last several weeks, printed a great article where they talked about how over a hundred colleges were padding rosters in track. So if you want wanna one of the things with Title IX is you have to have equity in 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 numbers or, or based on percentages of, of kids who also are attending school. That's how you determine how many need to be in sports. And they would count if you ran track, if you ran indoor track, outdoor track, and cross country, even though you were one person, they counted you as three. Oh, uh, they found that in rowing, if you showed up for one time in rowing, whether you continued or not, they kept you on the roster. Mm-hmm. They showed that in women's basketball, the guys who were training partners for the women were counted as oh, numbers. So real manipulation. Of real the manipulation. Now, th- they will say that that's okay for Title IX because X, Y, and Z, but that's not in the spirit of not the law. All. Not what at all. Is the, what is the motivation? I mean, maybe this is a really ignorant question, but I would think that a university would like to really show off that they're um, supporting Title IX and say, you know, these are exactly the same. We have the same roster, same weight room, same. What what stands in the way of them going a different direction and using this as an opportunity? Gosh, I love how you think. (laughs) I wish that's how they thought. I, I, I think, look, college sports is very big business. Okay. College football is humongous. Mm-hmm. 
college basketball is very big. Well, I'm right near Syracuse University. Oh, bingo. So I hear, I hear you loud and clear. So it is the university's choice of how they spend their money, mm -hmm. right? So how you began would be how many of us would want to see it, especially since the purpose of college sports has not been to be professional. Sports is a vehicle as part of education, right? But um, when you put the money that goes into football, the money that goes into mm -hmm. the stadiums, the money that goes into recruiting, the money that, um, that the colleges, colleges earned, the, not only do they earn, but that they travel around in helicopters or private jets, that the men's football team very often, even at home games, stay in hotels. Mm. So th there are just lots of perks or mm -hmm. things that they say in order for them to be the best, they have to have this, this kind of treatment. Uh, and so they're called revenue generating sports mm -hmm. and those sports that are not revenue generating get, don't get, in many cases do not get the kind of support that we, we would like to see. That's really interesting here. Um, just in the neighborhood of Syracuse University, they keep building these state-of-the-art beautiful football facilities, and it's not a great football team. Um, and then you look <laughs> at the women's tennis, and they have not resurfaced their outdoor courts, which is where they train for quite a while. And I'm thinking, you know, these are some of these women, um, you know, they're, they're nationally ranked, um, and it's a you know, it's a very solid team. Um, indoors is fine, but when you go outdoors, you think this is what, this is the best you can do with such a wealthy institution. It speaks volumes of what the priorities are. That's exactly right. And as a student, as someone who comes into college who's 18 years old, 19 years old, if this is what you're seeing, then you're saying maybe this is how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And, but, these kids today are much more savvy and they uh, are much more aware of many social impact issues, as we know from Black Lives Matters and, and, and many, and gun violence and, and many things that they are right to learn about their rights. And mm -hmm. our purpose is to teach them about their rights and educate them and give them the resources to be successful because mm -hmm. it's also very frustrating to know that something is not fair, to follow the channels that you're told to follow and still not get satisfaction. And that leads so we're me trying to, to do that as well. And that leads me to, so that's a great segue because as a psychotherapist, I think about the mental health of these athletes. And uh, there's been, as you well know, uh, a, a renewed focus or a new focus on the mental health challenges of student athletes. Uh, what, and you actually uh, wrote a, a paper on that, um, what are your thoughts about the mental health needs of our student athletes? I, you know, I would have to say that it's a microcosm of the society and, and of all of education as well. It, it, we put so much pressure mm. on the athletes to perform. I mean, when, when you were in school, how many times did your parents come to watch you in chorus practice or in, in art 
No, but don't we, we do that all the time for kids mm -hmm. who are in sports, right? There is so much attention put on them, so much attention about winning, unless you have a background and your support system, your family, your coach puts all of that in the context of, of healthy competition. I mean, mm -hmm. for every, I can point to many athletes who are really grounded and who do very well, and it's because of the support system that they have, and some luck, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and just as not. But we need to make it okay for people to not be perfect all the time, to understand that it may take longer for someone to progress, or, or maybe they don't want to do it, in the, perform in the same way that is expected because it is just tragic to see some of the suicides that are oh. happening on, on campus and, and the problem and the eating disorders and the other mm -hmm. problems that these kids are happening. Mm -hmm. So definitely we need to pay, you know, we need to pay attention to people, you know, mm -hmm. to individuals. And, and it, as we, some people would say, it takes a village and the rest of us have to step up and be supportive as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I also, I forgot when you say, what do I do? Yeah. One of the other things that I do is I coach the varsity high school tennis team up here. <laughs> and, and in, in the programs that, you know, we have to take a lot of classes and each one they stress, you're not a coach, you're a teacher. Hmm. And so it's my job to teach them about life and to teach them about teamwork and to teach them to respect themselves, their bodies, and, and what they can do. And their limitations. And that gets us right back That's to right. where we started, which is the Rorschach. And um, how do you maintain your uh mental health when you're doing something that's really challenging um and that there's a lot of pressure and that you've been practicing since you've been you know six years old how do you maintain your mental health and and make it not everything you are right mm -hmm. it's 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 a formidable situation mm -hmm. um and hard and the other part is that these athletes are very young you know, if you look at the tennis community, if you look like look at a Coco Goff, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, and she seems very well grounded. Her parents are mm -hmm. right there. They, she's got yes. good coaching and she's smiling, you know, and other people are having, you know, Naomi is having a, a more difficult time. Again, mm -hmm. both started so young. Yes. And, um, and hope everybody hopes that they find their way. Mm -hmm. So we have to respect that is, I guess, what I'm saying, how respect that people are going through um, situation and, and how young they are. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot more to be uh, said and, and discovered. Um, but uh, let's let's wrap it up there, Deborah. I really appreciate you kind of educating us on what the multitude of issues are and how important this is, that it has major implications all over the world. Right. And yeah, and it's so important to be aware and, and, and to contribute in any way uh, that you can. Where can people find out more about you and, and your work? 
oh well google <laughs> google does it but but rather than find out about me i would love for people to go on demand demand9.org okay and, and sign the pledge okay. and just learn more about title nine and mm-hmm. talk to people about it mm-hmm. i mean it's it's the stories are terrific uh, mm-hmm. that are on the website, and the resources are vast and very informative. And you've got some dynamite women uh, we, in your corner. Well, we're so lucky. Mm-hmm. Yep, we're lucky. And I can hear the passion in your voice. That That's never been my problem. <laughs> <laughs> that comes out. I have, and, and that trans, translates to the tennis court. Yes. Yes, indeed. Congratulations was, again. Yeah. It was hot. Oh, we were playing. <laughs> I did not know how I was going to replenish fluids. I did electrolytes. I did everything I could possibly do. And boy, that really uh, was part of the my struggle. That wasn't all of it, but it was part. I'm not used to playing on clay, and I cannot get over the nerves. Yeah. Just, just trying to settle down, and my opponents were lovely. But, boy, it's all, you know, it's a big deal to be down there, and I am just determined to win a match. And this, uh, hopefully, I'll be qualifying uh, next week for Pittsburgh, and I hope to see well, you there. Well, we can help you. We can help yeah. you on that. With I, the nerves and, and all I would that. Uh, welcome that. <laughs> I mean, even as a therapist and knowing how to manage anxiety, you know, when you get there, it's like, well, you know, I've been waiting to do this for months, took a plane down, got a hotel, got a car, got, you know, and there you are. And it's, it, it, it goes by really quickly. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. What a beautiful environment, though. Oh, it was wonderful. So great. Thank you so much, and I hope that uh, we cross paths again, and I'd love to see you in Pittsburgh. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the 
clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.